Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you had a good weekend. Your stool is ready for you. We're not going to lie. We're not going to postpone it. It's all crazies today, and they're really, really crazy martinis. Uh, Jim, the only good news today, and it's very good news, is that we're brought to you once again by Tommy John. With Father's Day coming up, you can get 25% off site-wide and deliver right to your dad's door, tommyjohn.com slash martini. Jim, we've been doing this a long time, so I don't want to use too much hyperbole here, but I think our original lineup of uh, possible topics today could be the most depressing thing I've ever seen in the entire time we've done this podcast. Is that blowing out of proportion, or is there a pretty strong case for it today? It, it's certainly in the ballpark, probably top five at minimum. It's the sort where you're like, well, I'm glad my underwear is comfortable because that's all that's going right for me today. So all crazies. So let's begin with defunding the police. We talked about this in our crazy martini on Friday, and that's what uh, Jeremiah Ellison, the son of Keith Ellison, who's on the city council in Minneapolis, as well as the city council leader. Uh, her name is Lisa Bender, saying it's time to dismantle the police. And she even said in the story that we quoted, you know, we're going to undergo a whole thing here. We're not gluing this back together. And, uh, you know, as this plays out, if you get your garage broken into, you might just need to deal with that. Uh, she's not backing away from that. Uh, Jacob Fry was booed by Black Lives Matter over the weekend for trying to be as woke as possible, but not fully committing to dismantling the police department. So I'm sure he'll be uh, trying to grovel at some point again soon. But Lisa Bender was on CNN today with Allison Camerata. And Allison Camerata asking the question that just about everybody would think here, so what do you do if you need the police and you don't have police? Here's how that exchange went. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. So Jim, the idea that some people don't have a good experience with police, so everyone should be suffering. I'm not sure that's a winner, but uh, what do you make of Lisa Bender and others on this council who now claim to have a veto-proof majority for this push uh, are headed in this direction? You know, it's bad when your city council president named Bender is actually more anti-humanity than Bender, the character on the Futurama animated series. <laughs> uh, he was a killer robot who had no compassion or, or care for anybody else. And even he would be better than, uh, than city council president Bender. So we talked a bit about this on Friday. And, and there was this sense of like, okay, some, you know, of course, the son of the attorney general is going to have some kooky ideas. He's angry at dad, you know, or something. Okay, fine. We keep waiting for responsible, you know, Democrats in elected office who take an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, uh, to take an oath to serve their cities, to say, okay, this is going a little too far. We, act, we need a police in some form. Uh, and for them to insist that, oh, what we really mean is reform the police. You're seeing a little bit of this. Uh, it's worth noting that the mayor of, was it Frey? Mayor Frey said he would, you know, was at some rally and was asked if he would agree with abolishing the police. And this was a bridge too far for him. And he said no. And the crowd instantly started jeering him in his T-shirt and jeans. Um, Jacob, go home. Yep. Yeah. So, so we've got, uh, you know, a, one or two here and there. 
by and large, there's very little indication that the Democratic Party uh, and its elected officials don't want to do this. At this point, nine members of the city council have said they support this idea. Now, I suspect, Greg, at some point in the not too distant future, you will see either national Democratic officials or maybe once the rubber hits the road and actually comes time to enact a legislation that would, I guess, effectively abolish the Minneapolis Police Department and uh, all that stuff. Just all of a sudden, you're going to start saying, when we said abolish the police, you silly conservatives, we didn't really mean abolish the police. Um, and I know, Greg, this is the third time in like less than a year where we have seen progressive activists make a sweeping uh, argument, uh, an easy a slogan that's easy to remember. It seems, you know, to have really no, there are no asterisks, there are no, uh, you know, caveats. Believe all women and abolish ICE. And within a short time, you had Democratic officials jumping in and saying, well, we don't really mean abolish immigration and customs enforcement. Or we didn't really mean believe all women, you know. Uh, there, there was no, you know, caveats when they first made these, but all of a sudden it becomes inconvenient and they do it. Um, this is apparently called a, a Mott and Bailey argument. Uh, the idea of you, you make a sweeping statement, and then when you get challenged, you retreat back to more uh, protected and more justifiable assertions. Um, I, I, my suspicion is that a good portion of these uh, folks are going are to flinch. But I got to tell you, you know, listening to that, that statement to Alison Camerata on CNN, Bender spoke for an hour, for, for, sorry, not an hour, a minute and 17 seconds. At any point in there, she could have said, of course someone will respond when you call the police in the middle of the night because you think someone's breaking in. But Greg, she didn't. No, not at <laughs> I all. don't think she forgot. I don't think this was, a, you know, the, if something was so self-evident that it didn't need to be said, she's the, she certainly didn't say it. It's ridiculous. And uh, CNN is, is giving a platform to people who are going to the just nutty extreme. Late last week, they had a guy named Tim Wise on there based out of Nashville, hosts a liberal podcast, who basically said he doesn't want white kids to feel safe in their childhood anymore because not all black kids feel safe in their childhood. So therefore, they don't deserve a safe childhood. And Jim, maybe I'm just old fashioned, but I think all kids deserve a safe, idyllic childhood. And maybe we should work towards making sure that that happens in black communities and all communities instead of trying to make sure that nobody gets it. Yeah. By the way, for any listeners at home, those are uh, also other children who don't deserve a happy childhood uh, coming into <laughs> my office. I'll deal with you later. Um, yeah, I'm glad this guy's finally found the real villain in the story. Exactly. Happy kids. Lastly, Jim, when do the adults actually show up here? Is it going to be... Biden, when the, the polls go nuts on these suggestions in city after city, and uh, if it's not dismantling, it's radically defunding like L.A. is trying to do and de Blasio is tinkering with now. I mean, there's some ideas out there on the right, like ending qualified immunity, reforming police unions. I know some of the more libertarian folks say it's time to end the drug war because that uh, has the cops in contacts with, uh, with folks in the black community a lot more than they otherwise would. Uh, No-knock warrants, get rid of those, and, and a number of other things. Uh, I've seen that there's some movement towards legislation from Capitol Hill Democrats that would ban most chokeholds and also go after no-knock warrants and that sort of thing. So maybe we're getting somewhere, but uh, they're not the ones getting the oxygen right now. It's the lunatics. No, and it's worth noting, Greg, that uh, at some point you will see some Democrats say, let's see if these law and order Republicans are willing to end police unions. And a lot of Republicans are going to say, who can we? Because <laughs> once, we, once we get into the business of uh, dealing with public sector unions, and I'm going to deal with public sector unions right after I deal with that door. Because uh, here's the thing, if you believe that the unions of, of police officers 
protect bad cops, that there are cops who make bad decisions, who have a habits of, uh, who have, you know, a series of bad behavior, unacceptable, they risk public safety instead of uh, preserving it. Why would you not believe that the same effect happens at teachers unions? But what's, what's special about the police unions that would have this effect? So I think the irony is, and this is, you know, all happening after a, a fairly significant criminal justice reform legislation passed through Congress and was signed into law by President Trump. I think there are some, you know, efforts at, at uh, uh, reforming the police. We, you know, there's always been this idea for it. Um, you know, some general support for it. You know, arguments from kind of a libertarian branch of the Republican Party worried about the militarization of police. We don't want the police seeing their the neighborhoods they patrol as enemy territory and things like that. Um, there is potential there. My guess, Greg, is that at some point Joe Biden will give a eloquent speech written by the top speech writers. He will go in front of there. He will deliver it. He will read it off the teleprompters and everyone will nod in agreement. It will strike just the right note and just the right balance. And then right afterwards, Greg, he'll be asked a question and he'll say something like, you know, if you're worried about home security, just, just stick your shotgun out the door and blast it and hope you hit somebody. <laughs> That's what I always told Jill to do or something like that. There was uh, a clip from Biden debating the crime bill back in the 90s floating around on social media where he was uh, saying, it doesn't matter where you come from or what your conditions are. If you hurt someone, you need to be get locked up for a long time. So I wonder if he still holds that position. But, uh, Probably not. But you know, like, I don't know if he remembers what his position was five minutes ago, <laughs> much less 25, you know, 25 years ago. True enough. All right. Well, like you said, we don't have any good news for you today. So at least you might be comfortable listening to the bad news. And that's where Tommy John can be of great help. A Father's Day now less than two weeks away. And it can be stressful trying to find that perfect gift for dad. Sometimes he doesn't know what he wants. I certainly have that problem. People ask me, what do you want for Father's Day or your birthday or something? Uh, I struggle sometimes because uh, I don't feel like I necessarily need anything new. Uh, but thankfully, Tommy John, uh, the revolutionary underwear and Clothing brand knows that comfort is for everyone, yes, even your dad. So give your dad the softest, most breathable base layer he's ever worn. Their new and improved men's underwear is now twice as durable as his current pair and infinitely more luxurious. You ever think of your drawers as luxurious? Well, they can be. Guaranteed, actually. Plus, Tommy John is offering their best Father's Day deal ever with 25% off site-wide, including easy-to-gift sets that you can order straight from your phone directly to dad's door. Now, I was able to try out the different products from uh, Tommy John's. It's so comfortable. Uh, different blends of fabrics, some synthetic, some natural, and man, I gotta tell you, very comfortable t-shirts, uh, sleep pants, uh, everything. Uh, very, very comfortable. Your dad will not be disappointed. And here's the thing, we mentioned this once before with the Tommy John ad. You know, it can be a little awkward giving your dad underwear, or you might think it would be. Uh, first of all, I think if you do get it, he will appreciate it. But secondly, they do have many other things. Like I said, they have the t-shirts, they have uh, lounge pants, they've got polos, lots of different things. Uh, so your options are plentiful when it comes to shopping for your dad at Tommy John. Treat dad to a few pairs of Tommy John underwear in the softest, most breathable fabrics he's ever worn. All of Tommy John's layers are built for next level comfort. Whether you're on the hunt for lounge pants, lazy day joggers, or the softest Zoom-ready tees and polos you or your father have ever worn, Tommy John has you covered. Now, you got to remember to get your order in before June 17th to ensure that your gift arrives before Father's Day. Tommy John is so confident in their underwear that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with their appropriately named Best Pair You'll Ever Wear or It's Free Guarantee. Tommy John. No adjustment needed. 
Tommy John has the perfect gift for all the dads in your life, and you can deliver comfort to dad's door with 25% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash martini. That's tommyjohn.com slash martini for 25% off site-wide. And you can see that site, tommyjohn.com slash martini for more details. All right, Jim, one of the most amazing things that's happened in response to the mass protests since the, the death of George Floyd is how quickly everybody's gotten on the same narrative page. Uh, your colleague and sometimes uh, guest host Alexander DeSanctis had a column over the weekend saying, the speech codes have changed now to the point where you can't stay silent because then you're complicit with racism, but you can't just say what you think. You have to actually parrot what the uh, liberal talking points are. And you expect some folks to do that, the media especially. Some folks you figure would uh, be a little bit distant from that and just focus on what they're actually supposed to be doing, namely public health experts. You know, the people who've been telling us to at times shelter in place due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, maintain social distancing, wear your masks, uh, don't gather in groups above 10, on and on and on. Schools can't meet, churches can't meet, uh, you can't dine in restaurants, although that's starting to ease up a little bit now. But on Friday, more than 1,200 people who claim to be public health experts, they range from people at you know, university med schools to some students to people with masters of public health and on and on, have basically decided that it's more important to protest than it is to protect yourself from the coronavirus. So they put out this long letter that just has anybody with uh, two cents of logic uh, just scratching their heads here. It says, staying at home, social distancing, and public masking are effective at minimizing the spread of COVID-19 if you are going to protest. To the extent possible, we support the application of these public health best practices during demonstrations that call attention to the pervasive lethal force of white supremacy. However, as public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID-19 transmission. We support them as vital to the national public health and to the threatened health specifically of Black people in the United States. We can show that support by facilitating safest protesting practices without detracting from demonstrators' ability to gather and demand change. This should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. Those actions not only oppose public health interventions, but are also rooted in white nationalism and run contrary to respect for black lives. Protests against systemic racism which fosters the disproportionate burden of COVID-19 on Black communities and also perpetuates police violence, must be supported. So, Jim, these people were already on thin ice for continuing lockdowns well past the initial two-week uh, flatten the curve, in through April, all the way through May. People getting sick of it already. But now hearing, well, these people can go outside and congregate, but the rest of you, no. And you people especially can't. Um, pretty sure that's not how the First Amendment is phrased. It's also not how viruses work. Um, <laughs> they, despite, first of all, they're mic again, these, these are doctors. I shouldn't have to explain these sorts of things, but the viruses are microscopic and they don't have eyes. So they cannot read the signs at the protest and thus distinguish between a bad reopening protest. By the way, I love, you know, it wasn't enough for them to say, we disagreed with those you know, reopening protests. They had to throw in that it's tied to white nationalism. That, that, that was like gilding the lily. That's like, you know, the, you know, those are evil protests, whereas these are good and noble protests. Um, look, this is the, you know, I wrote about this in today's Morning Jolt. I suspect it's something I'll be writing about quite a bit in the coming days. And I'm going to point out, as of right now, we don't know if these massive you know, gatherings, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people in some of them, 
if they're going to spread the virus. It's a little too early to tell. Start about, we're out in that week to nine days. So if it was happening in the first couple of days, we may start seeing people starting to have symptoms and things like that. Now, if you look at the pictures, many of them are wearing masks. That's good. Not all, though. And obviously, some of them take the masks off to shout, and that's probably the worst, you know, uh, thing you could do. It's outdoors, which is better than having a big event indoors. It's in the sunlight, most of these places. That's the good news. Uh, but in the end, you're still getting lots and lots of people together in one place. Now, so I'm also keeping an eye on this. Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they arrested somebody, turned out, tested them, came up positive. Columbus Public Health said that somebody who was symptomatic, meaning it wasn't just, you know, asymptomatic, they either coughing or had a runny nose or, or some other symptoms of being sick, uh, also attended protests in the past week. Uh, now in Lawrence, Kansas, somebody who was downtown in the protest has tested positive for the virus and um, no, that person did not wear a mask. So by going and participating in these protests, these people were taking some level of risk. We can argue, they may very well contend, it is worth it. And then there's a part of me that would say, okay, we should, we should allow them to take the risks they deem appropriate. I noticed we did not have that philosophy for reopening businesses, for reopening restaurants, uh, for any of these other protests or gatherings or, or things like that. But now the attitude is different. By the way, it's worth noting all those people quoted, some of them were health experts. Some of them were like med students and, and all that kind of stuff. Not necessarily people who uh, uh, are at the top of their field or something. And Dr. Anthony Fauci came out on Friday after we taped and said, I get very concerned as, my, as do my colleagues in public health. When you see these kinds of crowds, there certainly is a risk I can say that with confidence. It's a perfect setup for further spread of the virus in the sense of creating these blips, which might turn into some surges. Craig, is it just me? Did the media suddenly lose interest in Anthony Fauci? Oh, totally. I mean, like, it's already for like two, three months, he was coming down on a, with two stone tablets of, of how to avoid <laughs> the virus, right? I mean, this, you know, all of a sudden, no, what does Fauci know? You know, first of all, this is terrible for public health. Uh, now, the only thing, reason I'm saying this is not, you know, a full-fledged disaster and that, you know, Mario, Cu Mario Cuomo, boy, you show my age there. Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> there's so many Cuomos in the news. Uh, Andrew Cuomo said everybody who's been to these protests should get tested. You've seen other officials in other cities say if you went to them, you should go and get them, get yourself tested. You may have been at risk of catching the coronavirus. Look, you know, it's possible that people won't catch them in significant numbers. It's kind of luck of the draw. Who were you near in that protest? Uh, were they a super spreader or did you touch the same things or did they wear the mask or not? You know, there's all kinds of variables here and it's kind of hard to tell. When I was putting together today's jolt, I was kind of mystified to have learned this. Greg, I assume you and our listeners remember the video of the crowds at that swimming pool at Lake of the Ozarks back on May 23rd around Memorial Day? Yeah, sure. Okay, it's so like a couple of days afterwards, one person tested positive and everybody's like, oh my God, there, it ha there we go. There's going to be a huge outbreak there because they're all in the pool. They're practically shoulder to shoulder. So many people and somebody had the coronavirus. Well, as of June 5th, it's still only one person. Now, maybe it was just luck of the draw. Maybe it was the chlorine. Maybe the sunlight. You know, nobody was wearing masks. But for whatever reason, so far, as far as we can tell, either nobody's gotten it or everybody who's gotten it has been asymptomatic. I saw one or two people on Twitter insisting that well, maybe they had it and they're just not telling anyone. Uh, okay, I guess it's a possibility. But, you know, so look, maybe these protests won't end up with a huge outbreak of cases. Nonetheless, they, the people who do, have done so have, like, have, have, by all, everything we know, have increased the risk of them catching it. And your duty in public health is supposed to be to tell people things they don't want to hear. I tried to emphasize this point yesterday. If you were really racist and you hated all the people at these protests, what you'd want to do is you'd want to cover up the risk. You'd want them to believe that it was the safest thing in the world. And they were in no ways endangering themselves. If you actually care about these people, you're going to say, hey, you know what? 
you may not want to do this. Hey, the coronavirus is still out there. Now, maybe you're young and healthy and maybe you're not going to be, you know, suffer terrible effects of this. Yeah, you'll probably be fine. But are you going home to mom and dad? Are you going home to grandma? You know, are you going to come in contact with anybody else who might be at greater risk of succumbing to the virus? Um, but all of a sudden, somebody have been beating the drums on this relentlessly for two or three months. Greg, it's as if somebody snapped their fingers and it's all gone. Yeah, the media is incapable, I think, of focusing on two stories at once for any length of time. Uh, good point about the Cuomo's. They seem to be everywhere. In fact, today you might argue that uh, they're getting too much um, <laughs> exposure. But uh, as you say, tonight's a full moon, isn't it? <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, you already had uh, folks getting frustrated with these public health experts. And, and as you pointed out, Fauci seems to be one of the few who are consistent on this. But once you've got folks, and I'm talking about institutions as prestigious as Johns Hopkins saying, well, yeah, there's still a risk, but this cause it's okay, and this cause it's not. The next time people need to pay attention to these people, they're just not going to do it. There's a real cost to playing favorites with who can do what. I completely agree. It's one of those things where if you are a leader, you, you, you know, like if you are not willing to be honest with people in one situation, people will assume you're not being honest with people in other situations. Now, the other thing, you know, you might argue they're in a darned if they do, darned if they don't situation, because if we don't have a huge outbreak, people will say, ah, well, okay. I guess there wasn't much of a risk. Uh, we didn't need these lockdowns at all in the first place. And there are a decent number of my, my, uh, of our listeners and my readers who believe strongly that they, we didn't need any of them. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. Having said that, if there are a huge outbreak, then people, you know, I'm sure there are some people who say, why didn't you warn us? And they'll have good complaints because a whole bunch of health experts suddenly got very quiet about the potential risk of these folks. I suspect in part because they didn't want to tell the protesters something they didn't want to hear. Okay, on to our third crazy martini now, and it's part three of our look at the New York Times opinion section, because last week, of course, the New York Times published an op-ed from Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, who said uh, you need to bring in the military and have a big show of force to make sure that the people who are protesting don't keep rioting, because that was obviously a major problem in many cities. And since the National Guard came into cities, uh, including Washington, D.C., the violence has uh, considerably lessened. But uh, the revolt among uh, lower level staffers in the opinion section and elsewhere at the newspaper led to a groveling apology from the New York Times late last week. And now the opinion editor himself is gone. James Bennett has resigned. He is replaced by Katie Kingsbury. And in the story explaining this news, uh, Katie Kingsbury is quoted as telling her staff, anyone who sees any piece of opinion journalism, headlines, social posts, photos, you name it, that gives you the slightest pause, please call or text me immediately. And uh, Jim, Andrew Sullivan is a columnist that you can uh, ardently agree with depending on the topic or ardently disagree with on the topic. This time I think he's spot on when he says, uh, we're all living on campus now. This mentality that uh, I don't have to be near any opinion uh, has taken over the New York Times. Amazing. Yeah, you know, for a long time, you'd hear about campus craziness and people needing, you know, safe zones and, you know, you're only allowed to express your opinion in this designated free speech zone in the corner on campus and, you know, uh, people who need their emotional support animals because they heard a, a opinion that they disagreed with or something like, well, boy, these kids, when they get into the real world, they're going to have a real rude awakening. No, they didn't, <laughs> or at least not at the New York Times and certainly not within certain institutions in America they made the organization change to play by their rules. Uh, and I think it's kind of been striking to see 
this happen. I don't think it's happening at every institution in America. I think if you are, for example, a member of the military and you go into the US Marine Corps expecting them to adjust to your standards of what is appropriate behavior, your drill sergeant will probably uh, set you straight. Uh, if police forces, right, uh, may probably, you know, we get interesting debate about the medical profession in light of our previous martini. But by and large, if you believe that, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, ultimately your decisions have to be based on the patient and you can't do it based on, you know, how you feel about something. Um, now, the other kind of intriguing aspect of this is that James Bennett, like people, people don't necessarily know the name, the faces behind the names. He doesn't do a lot of TV. He's not uh, a common pundit. So there's, you, know, you may not, people may not have a you know, real familiar sense of him. People probably know he's the younger brother of Democratic Senator Michael Bennett, uh, which by the way, doesn't it seem silly that the op-ed page couldn't say very much about Michael Bennett during the you know, entire... <laughs> for listeners, uh, Michael Bennett is a Democratic senator from Colorado who ran for president. You may have forgotten that. It wasn't very noticed when it happened. But, uh, because of the familial relation, the New York Times generally didn't pay much attention to him one way or the other, much like the rest of America. Um, but anyway, so Bennett you know, started out at the New Republic, Washington, then he went to the Washington Monthly, went to work for the New York Times for a long time. You know, this is a, this is a liberal in good standing, right? I think that what I found yesterday, I posted in the corner is really interesting, is that he was the guy who was a Jerusalem or, or the Middle Eastern correspondent. And he kind of set the limit of when the term terrorist and terrorism should be used to describe uh, when Palestinians attacked Israel. And it basically depended on which side of the line you're on. If it was inside the, you know, the, the uh, definition, the territorial boundaries of Israel that Bennett agreed with, then the action was terrorism. If it was not terrorism, he would not describe, if it was outside those lines, he would not describe it as terrorism. Even if it was like going into a five-year-old girl's bedroom and killing her, not terrorism. Um, and yeah, on everything else, he'd go down the line. This is a down the line liberal progressive. But because he agreed to run this Tom Cotton one and because he's hired Brett Stevens and, he, and uh, uh, Barry Weiss and, and a whole bunch of other uh, columnists who, are not to the liking of the progressive hard left uh, cadres at, uh, of, of young people at the New York Times, he's got to go. He had to fall on his sword. And it's just kind of an interesting, you know, the, the beast always, they're, they're, you can never be woke enough as, as Mayor Frey learned. You can never be that. If you disagree with the mob on anything, they will then turn on you. And it's kind of fascinating how much, how much the quote unquote establishment left. And again, I, you know, the establishment left of James Bennett was pretty darn lefty. Um, that they have to relearn this lesson over and over and over again. Um, that you know, when you try to start you know, uh, placating the mob by making small sacrifices, sooner or later, they're, they're never satisfied. And they always want more and you end up having to have an abject surrender. You kind of wonder if James Bennett wondered if he should have just stood up to these people from the beginning. Yeah, a little late now. He'll land somewhere, but uh, Jim, the Atlantic. <laughs> I'm not sure virtual martinis cut it today, but uh, we'll officially call it there for today. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget Tommy John, uh, Father's Day again, less than two weeks away. They've got the perfect gifts for dad. 25% off site-wide, tommyjohn.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars, please. And most of all, join us again on Tuesday. Your bar stool will be waiting on the Three Martini Lunch.